I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the Gospel of John. Gospel of John, chapter 10, is where we are this morning. We had the last three weeks to enjoy chapter 9, spent the first uh, couple verses, uh, one sermon on the first couple verses, one sermon on about 38 verses, and then one sermon on just a couple verses on the back half. John 9 is an amazing chapter. We were able to 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 fit ourselves into the climate, to, to smell the smells, see the sights, hear the sounds as the interrogation was going on. Uh, who healed this blind man? Who is he? The whole reason that John is writing as we move into chapter 10, the whole reason John is writing his gospel and the whole reason that he wrote John chapter 9 is to force us to choose what do we believe about Jesus. Just like the Pharisees had to choose and the blind man had to choose and the neighbors had to choose in chapter 9. Who is he? Who do you say he is? And the blind man says he's a man. No, he's a prophet. No, he is the son of God and he worships him. The progression of John 9 is really the progression of the gospel of John. John is writing, you remember John chapter 20, verse 31, it's what's written on these banners. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you would have life in his name. John is writing to prove to us that Jesus is who he claims to be, and that's exactly what he did in John 9. You have to make a choice. The blind man is ready and willing and eager to say, yes, he is God. The Pharisees, even though the blind man says, guys, there's no way he can be anything other than God. He can't be anything other than God. He truly is the Son of God. The Pharisees say, no, there's another way to describe this. We don't believe. And in fact, in their arrogance, they say, we're not blind too, are we? We can see. We don't need you to help us see. Jesus is going to speak here in chapter 10 And prove again and again. John's recording this to prove again and again. You cannot be a fence sitter when it comes to Jesus. You can't. You either follow him as Lord or you say that he's a lunatic and you should not take him for who he claims to be. You either kill him or you submit yourself to him. But you just can't take him neutrally. You can't do that. For instance, just look really quickly at verse 17 of chapter, seven, of chapter 10. Verse 17 of chapter 10. Jesus makes an outlandish statement. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I laid down my life. Now, that's not outlandish. You and I can say that. I'll take a bullet for my wife. I'll lay down my life for my friends. Fine by me. We can all say that. Nothing spectacular about that. Nothing dramatically heroic about that. We can all say, I'll lay down my life for somebody that I love. But then he says, so that I may take it again. So I'm fine to take the bullet because I'm going to raise myself in the dead. Um, Only two people can say that. You either are God or you're a crazy lunatic has delusions of grandeur. There's no way that you can say those words and not be one of those two things. You have to choose. Who do you believe Jesus is? If I were to ask you that question this morning, who do you believe that he is? Jesus is going to tell us who he is in these verses. We're going to look at John chapter 10 verses 1 through 10 this morning. This is a Another amazing section of scripture. This is just powerful. And so we're going to take it a little bit 
more slowly than we normally would. Let's read these verses and ask the Lord to bless our time, and then we'll dive in together. John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he's a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them. But they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Father, we ask your blessing on our time this morning. We want abundant life. And that's exactly what you're all about. You love lavishing abundant life. Not just life but life abundantly. God, we of all people are most to be envied because of the abundant life that you have granted to us. And we need to share that with others. That others might see the hope that we have within us and we can share it. God, I pray this morning that you would remind us you are working for our greatest joy. Even in the midst of sorrow and pain. You're leading us into pastures of plenty. So God, may your sheep hear your voice this morning. God, make me faithful to speak these words in such a way that they would reflect exactly what you said and why you said it. And God, for those in this room that don't know you, that aren't one of your sheep, I pray that today would be the day that they would turn, that they would see they need a door, they need a shepherd, and they have that in Jesus alone. God, be our guide this morning. Open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your law. We pray in your name. Amen. Some of you may be familiar with this section of scripture, the uh, I am statements are coming up. Some of you might not be familiar with the I am statements, and if you're not, if you haven't grown up in church all of your life, First of all, thank you so much for jumping into church. And um, second of all, don't worry. It's okay if you don't know these I am statements. Um, John is writing his gospel to prove that Jesus is the I am, the Son of God, the, the Messiah, the one that God the Father sent to take away our sins. So in John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. He's making himself equal with God when he says those two words, I am. He says in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. And this is the third of the seven I am statements. I am the door. Chapter 10, verse 9. We're going to see the next I am statement, the fourth one, next week. Uh, I am the good shepherd in verse 11 of chapter 10. And then the last three we'll take in a couple months from now. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the vine. 
this whole section, if you, if you look at the entirety of John chapter 10, from a big picture standpoint, I want to just give some introductory comments and then we'll dive in. From a big picture standpoint, it can be broken down this way. Verses 1 through 6, Jesus is saying, I'm gathering a flock for myself. 1 through 6, he says, I'm gathering a flock for myself. And he does it in a very specific way. He tells a story. He doesn't put himself in that story yet. He just tells a story and that's it. And the story is saying, I'm gathering a flock for myself. I'm a shepherd and I'm bringing sheep to myself. If you were to say, okay, why are you doing that? He would say, thank you for asking. Verses 7 through 10 are all about why he is gathering a flock. And the answer is he's gathering a flock to give them life. He's gathering a flock to give them life. So then the next question is, how is he going to go about gathering this flock to give them life? And that's the third section in verses 11 through 18 that we'll look at next week. How is he going to do it? He's going to do it by laying down his life for them. So, number one, I'm gathering a flock for myself, verses 1 through 6. Number two, why am I doing that? I'm doing it to give them life, verses 7 through 10. And number three, how am I going to do that? I'm going to do it by laying down my life for them, verses 11 through 18. But these first two sections that we're going to take this morning, in verse 1 through 6, verses 1 through 5 actually, Jesus is just giving a figure of speech. My Bible says, verse 6, this figure of speech Jesus spoke. Um, That's not a uh, parable. That's not the word that means parable. Um, that's a different word that we've come along a lot in our summer series to the parables. It's a different word, but it is similar to the word parable. It's a word picture. It's a, a figure of speech. And he's doing that without identifying himself at all in any of this figure of speech. He just simply says, this is what happens. There's a fold, there's sheep, there's a shepherd, there's thieves and robbers. This is what happens. That's all he says. And then they're not going to understand it, and he's going to give them understanding in the, the following verses. One of the keys to understanding this section is to see chapter 10. You know there's no chapter breaks in the original. Just run on after run on. It doesn't have a break. It doesn't have verses and chapters. So the end of chapter 9, verse 41, Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say, we see, your sin remains. And truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door. That's just a run, run on right into that. There's no break. This isn't a new place. He's not talking to a new audience. So who is he speaking to? He's speaking to the Pharisees. Verse 40, those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, We're not blind too, are we? And so he answers them. And then he continues to speak to them. So we know exactly who Jesus is meaning when he talks about the thief and the robber in chapter 10. The thief and the robber are the Pharisees. He's talking to them and he's saying, you are trying other ways to get to me and to get other people to me. Verse 5, a stranger, they simply will not follow. The they there is true believers. We know that in context based on what Jesus is saying. But here's my question. Why does Jesus jump from... Because you say that you see, your sin remains. And why does he move into a word picture? Why does he move into this parable of sorts? Why does he move into a figure of speech? Here's why I think he does it. The Pharisees in their arrogance just claimed to be able to see. We have perfectly good sight, physically and spiritually. We can see everything. Jesus says, you can't. And I think that probably a couple of them are saying, no, no, we can't. (laughs) You can't, 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 can't. Back and forth. And Jesus says, fine, try this on for size. 
I'm going to tell you a story. Do you know what the story means? And as he tells them this story, there's uh, a fold, there's sheep. Some people go over the sides of the, the wall. They're thieves and robbers. Uh, only the shepherd goes through the door. They hear his voice. They follow him out to pasture. Do you guys know what that means? I think the Pharisees are going, um, I, I, I don't think so. And because they don't understand, Jesus says, I'll, I'll give you the information. But he's proving to them yet again, you guys think that you can see spiritually, but you can't. You are really blind. Even though you won't up, own up to it, you're blind. They didn't understand what he was saying. They were blind. And Jesus has done this many times before. We've even seen in the Gospel of John. He says, I am the bread of life. In order to follow me, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they go, we don't get that and we don't like you. We're not cannibals. We want you dead. He says, I am living water. And they go, who is this guy? What is he talking about? Drinking from him? This makes no sense. At the very same moment, Jesus is making things clear and making himself sound totally absurd. I love that about our Savior. So let's watch him do that this morning. Let's watch him clarify things, bring understanding, but also bring some absurdity to this picture to show the Pharisees, yet again, if they don't want to believe, they're walking away. They're going to look at this parable of sorts and say, I don't want to believe. So just an outline and we'll dive in. Number one, uh, we'll just split this up into two sections. Number one, we're going to look at the parable of sorts. Uh, That's verses 1 through 6. It's a parable of sorts. It's not specifically a parable, but it's a figure of speech. It's a word picture. And then number two, we're going to look at a picture of the Savior, verses 7 through 10. So number one, a parable of sorts. Number two, a picture of the Savior. Let's look at the parable of sorts that he gives. Verse 1, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. Now, Jesus doesn't give any explanation He's just going to tell the story, and then he's going to explain certain aspects of it. I'm going to give some explanation, since we already read it. I'm going to give some explanation, and then we'll see Jesus' explanation of it in depth. What's the fold? Uh, A fold would be a pen where sheep are brought into at night to be safe. Uh, Many shepherds would go in. They'd place their sheep into these folds. They'd probably have uh, like a square pen, maybe made out of bricks or stone. There'd be one door, and there'd be high walls to try and keep these sheep safe. Um, usually the folds were very large. They were big pens and they were very large. So many shepherds would gather together and they would put all of their sheep into these folds, into these pens. And there would be a doorkeeper. We read about him. There's a doorkeeper, verse 3. To him the doorkeeper opens. He's a watchman. He's a porter. He's somebody that stands there and makes sure that there's nobody who isn't the shepherd of the sheep that's coming in and taking the sheep. That's why the thieves can't just go to the door of the pen and say, hey, can I have my sheep? No, there's a watchman there. And so Jesus says that there is a fold, uh, a pen where there are sheep. But there are some that climb up some other way into that pen to try and get a sheep. And they are called thieves and robbers. So the obvious way to get in is the door. You are the shepherd. You bring your sheep into the door. You let them rest there at night. You close the door. You pay the watchman. You sleep wherever you want to sleep. And then you come back in the morning and your sheep are there. You get your sheep out. There are some people during the middle of the night, whether they want the sheep for wool or for meat um, or for money to sell the the sheep, whatever they want the sheep for, they will try and steal the sheep. But they can't get into the door because there's a watchman. They get into the sides. They climb over. But the shepherd, verse 2, obviously is going to enter by the door. 
He who enters by the door is a shepherd. He's the shepherd of the sheep. And of course, since he's the shepherd, since he paid the watchman, since he paid that porter, to him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. They hear his voice. It's very interesting. Sheep don't, uh, they don't follow the smell of their shepherd. In fact, people sometimes do this in the Middle East. They will take their clothing, they'll swap clothes with another shepherd. And they'll see if my clothing, the way I look and the way I smell, will that bring my sheep? And they'll try and call their sheep. But sheep follow voices. They follow the voice of their shepherd. So even if you're wearing a certain thing that another shepherd wears or you smell a certain way that another shepherd smells, they're still going to follow you because they hear your voice. Verse 3, they hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name. He calls them by name. Jesus, as we know, he's going to say he's the good shepherd. He calls each and every one of us by name. This is mind-boggling. He knows your name, and he dies specifically for you to pull you out of your sin. Sometimes when we think of the church and we think of how large and grand the church is, we just think, well, I'm one of, of many in this sea of faces that God just dies for all of us, and that's great. And, and that's true. We are a part of the body of Christ. But don't ever forget, Jesus bought you personally. And he calls you by name personally. You were on his mind and on his heart at the cross when he died for you. When he said, it is finished, he said that to you. Your debt has been canceled. It's been paid in full. He's not just thinking church. He's calling you by name specifically. Just drop down to verse 14. We'll get this next week in depth. But verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Well, of course he does because he's God and he knows everything, of course. Verse 15, even as the father knows me and I know the father. So verse 14 says, I know my own and my own know me. You say, what does that relationship look like, Jesus? How well do you know me? You're God, so you know everything. But how well, how specific do you know me? And he says, oh, I know you just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Jesus knows you, calls you by name, loves you with the same kind of love and knowledge that he has with the Father. An inseparable knowledge. A Trinitarian knowledge. He knows you. He knows you with that exact same knowledge. And so he knows his sheep. His sheep know him. He calls them by name and he leads them out. He has a name for you and he's going to call your name to lead you out. When I was in Israel, um, we got to hang out with some Bedouin shepherds and, and oh, they make the best tea um, uh, ever. I've never had better tea than Bedouin tea. Um, we got to sleep under the stars at night with them. They were super, super kind to us. And I love sheep. They're so cute and fluffy and cuddly. They're really smelly, but they're really fun to hang out with. And so I, you know, tried to dress up like a shepherd and had a little shepherd's crook and just, hey, let's keep, you know, driving the sheep. Here we go. Let's have some fun. Everything I did was wrong. They're like, no, no. They would laugh at me. I'd say, come on, come on. They'd laugh. No, 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 no. That's not how it goes. Um, but one of the things as we were talking, one of the things that they would say, I would say, come here. I, you know, I try to call them like dogs. Like, you know, come here, come here, come here. And they would just call their name. They had, you know, uh, Arabic names for them. 
they would call them different names. And when I would ask them what their names meant, they had the silliest names, like one-eared, uh, uh, spotty. Uh, there was one that had the darkest black face, and they called him Blackie. Um, they would try and like translate these names, and they had the cutest little pet names. Like, you know that. We have pet names for our pets. You don't just call your dog, dog. Like, hey, dog, come here, dog. You have a name. Jesus says, I know my sheep, and I named them. I love them with such an intense, personal, intentional love. And I call them out. He leads them out. What is he leading them out of? Some people are, are looking at this figure of speech and they say that this pen is the church. That Jesus is the shepherd of the church and, and he has sheep in a church. That's not right because he's leading them out. Get out. He wants them out. Some people say that it's heaven. It's not heaven. Again, get out. No, we, we want in. What is it? Um, we're helped. If you drop down to verse 16, Jesus says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. There's another fold, and I'm going to call people out of that fold. So what are these folds? They're ethnic groups. Specifically, this fold is, is Judaism. This fold is ethnic Judaism. And then he says in verse 16, there's another fold. And we would say it's a Gentile fold. That's us. And we're going to look at that in depth next week. Jesus is calling people out of Judaism, out of the law, out of the traditional law that the Pharisees had made up, the legalism that they had set up to try and get you right before God, but would never work. So what does he do? He leads them out. He says, no, no, that's not going to work. To get to God, you can't stay in Judaism. To get to God, you need to repent of your good works. You need to repent of your effort and your trying to get to God on your own. You need to repent of that. And that's exactly what he does. He leads them, like 2 Timothy chapter 2, 25. He leads you, he grants you the gift of repentance. He leads them out. I love that. He leads them. He doesn't drive them. That was one of the things that I did wrong when I was my fake little shepherd uh, trying to be a shepherd for a day. He was trying to get the sheep to move. You want them to go over there? Okay, come on, move, move, move. Shepherd said, no. Um, that was where they said that's very American. You think we have a sheepdog? They said, we don't have sheepdog. We don't drive sheep. We just, we just walk and they'll follow you. They'll follow you. Just walk. You lead them. You don't drive them. That's exactly what you read this morning, right? Hebrews chapter 12. Jesus is the author and the perfecter. He is the, the one who went before us. He's the architect of our salvation, and he is the forerunner that went before us, that led the path, that carved out the path and leads us home. That's what he does. So, verse 4, when he puts forth all of his own, he goes ahead of them, he leads them, and the sheep will follow because they know his voice. Okay, so what about the people that are going to come along and have, they have other voices and they try to take the sheep? Verse 5, I love this. A stranger, they simply will not follow. Instead, they'll flee from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. My Bible says a stranger, they simply will not follow. I actually like that translation because in the original, it's a double negative. There is simply no possible, not even one possibility of you hearing a stranger's voice or following a stranger. You won't. You can't. There's no possibility, if you are a believer, that you can be led astray by false doctrine. 
There's no possibility, if you are saved, that you could be snatched out of the fold of God, out of his flock, and removed from his flock. You can't. It's like Matthew 24, when Jesus is talking about the end times and the Antichrist and what he's going to attempt to do. He says he's going to attempt, if possible, to lead astray some of the elect. If, if possible. It's not possible. That's why Jesus says that. He's going to try to do what's impossible to be done. There's security here. Drop down to verse 12. He's going to say about the wolves. They're dangerous. He who's a hired hand and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep sees the wolf coming. He leaves the sheep and he flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters. But I'm not like that. I'm a good shepherd. The wolves are going to come. There's danger. There's cults. There's false doctrines. There are things that try to pull us away. Even in our passage, there's thieves and robbers. But what Jesus is saying is, you're not going to follow them. If you're saved, I will keep you. And they can't touch you. Sure, they can kill you. But they can't take your soul eternally away from Jesus. I have a buddy who went to India on some missions trips. And, uh, you know, in India you have those people, that, snake charmers. And you got the basket and the flute. doo 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 and uh, the cobra comes up. I just think that is, it's either the gutsiest thing I've ever seen, seen or the dumbest thing I've ever seen. I don't know which it is. It's, it's like, this guy's a real man? No, I think he's really stupid. And then I, I heard from my buddy that most of the snake charmers super glue the mouths of the cobra shut. So they're doing their thing. Oh, this is dangerous. But they know nothing's going to happen. You have this incredibly dangerous, poisonous snake. And there's no way it can bite them. Um, That's like our relationship with Christ and with other false teachers around our true shepherd. They're going to try and attack us. They're dangerous. They're going to try and kill us. But they've been defanged by the cross. They can't get to us. And so Jesus says, don't worry, don't be afraid. You're not going to follow the voice of a stranger. You're not going to follow a stranger. You're not going to do that. Why does Jesus use this as a figure of speech? Why does he use this parable of sorts? Turn to Ezekiel chapter 34. I want you to see in Ezekiel chapter 34, I think this is where Jesus is getting this picture from. He's calling out the Pharisees. He's saying, you're thieves, you're robbers, you're breaking in, and you've only come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. You're not doing your job, and if people follow you, they will die. Why is he saying that? Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. That's Ezekiel saying, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. So God has named himself the shepherd of Israel. But he's also said there are under shepherds. There are people that watch over his sheep and they are called shepherds. And God says, prophesy and say to those shepherds, thus says the Lord God, woe, cursed be the shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly, you've not strengthened. The diseased, you've not healed. The broken, you've not bound up. The scattered, you've not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and with severity, you've dominated them. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. And they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. My flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth. And there was no one to search or seek 
for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my flock has become a prey, my flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field for lack of a shepherd. And my shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds. Then that's a phrase I never want to hear. We should never, ever want to hear. I'm against you. And there's times in the Bible where he says, God says he will be against us if we do certain things. If we're proud, First uh, Peter chapter 5, God is opposed. He's against the prideful. And here he's against the under-shepherds, the leaders, the priests, the uh, pastors, if you will, of the day in Israel. He's against them. I will demand my sheep, middle of verse 10, from them and make them cease from feeding sheep. So the shepherds will not feed themselves anymore, but I will deliver my flock from their mouth so they will not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, what am I going to do? I'm going to take my sheep from the bad shepherds and I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep. And listen to what he's going to do. I'm going to deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the streams and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them in a good pasture and their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. There they will lie down on good grazing ground and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken, and strengthen the sick. But the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with judgment. So God says, I have a flock. I have a people. And I sent my prophets and I sent my priests and I sent people to them to shepherd and to care for them. And the priests have taken my sheep And they have abused them. They haven't done what I told them to do. I believe that that is why Jesus is saying what he's saying. He's giving a a parable of sorts to the Pharisees in John 10 that I think would ring in their ears. The Pharisees know Ezekiel 34. They have called themselves the under-shepherds. They knew that they were given by God to take care of the people of Israel. And they have, in the words of Ezekiel 34, dominated them with laws and rules and regulations and legalism that cannot save. So I think that they would know exactly what Jesus is saying here. This is a a parable of sorts. But Jesus knows, verse 6, that they don't get it. The figure of speech back in John chapter 10, verse 6, this figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were, which he had been saying to them. So he graciously explains it. He could have said, see, you thought you could see, but you can't. I knew you were blind and I just proved it to you and I'm out of here. But in speaking with the Pharisees, he gives them another opportunity. Grace upon grace upon grace. And what does he say? Verse 7. This is point number 2. This is a picture of the Savior. A picture of the Savior. Jesus says to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door. And we know he's also going to say in a couple of verses, I am the shepherd of the sheep. I am a door and I am a shepherd. Now, there's a lot of people in their quasi-intellectualism 
that would say, Patrick, that doesn't work. Can't be a door and a shepherd at the same time. Can't do that. That's a bad analogy. Therefore, I'm throwing away Jesus' words. I'm not following him. He's a lunatic. And you would do exactly what the Pharisees are going to do. Jesus says parables. He says parables of sorts that sound strange at first hearing. But can we not be like those people and can we press into what Jesus is saying and, and ask the question, Jesus, why do I need you to be a door and why do I need you to be a shepherd? Why don't I just need you to be a shepherd? Why are you a door? Why do I need you to be a door? He says he's both at the exact same time. What, what is he saying? You could put in your margin, if you're writing your Bibles, you could put John chapter 14, verse 6. I think this is all he's saying. You know that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I think that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. John chapter 14, verse 6 is exactly what he's saying here. I am the door. I am the way. I'm the entrance and the exit. I am the only way to get to God. And I'm the truth and the life. I'm the one that's going to lead you in the shepherding role. I'm both. So he starts by saying in verse 7, I'm the door of the sheep. The door, that's what the shepherd enters by. That's privilege, that's right, that's authority, that's ownership. And it's the only way out. The thieves try to get sheep by crawling over the walls and climbing over the pen. But the only way in or out really is that door. You can try and get out some other way which is exactly what the Pharisees were trying to do. They were trying to get out and get to God by some other means. But Jesus says it's impossible. I'm the door. I'm the only way to get out of your man-made religion that will not save you and get out of that into a right relationship with God. I'm the only way. By the way, James, the half-brother of Jesus, confirms that. There's some people that say that when Jesus says, I'm the door, he, he means that... He sits in front of the way and you kind of like, you have to get through me to get to my sheep. And that can be true. But I think it's a little bit more simple than that. And James, the brother or the half-brother, if you will, of Jesus, confirms that. Um, He was asked um, when he was on trial. It wasn't really a trial, but uh, they were up on top of a temple or on on top of the temple. The religious leaders were getting really mad at him. And they asked him, hey, what what do you think Jesus meant when he said, I am the door? And James responded by saying that he is the only way to be saved. He's the only means of salvation. You must enter through him or by no one else can you get to God. And tradition tells us that they threw him off the temple and then stoned him. They threw him off and just to make sure he's good and dead, they picked up stones and they stoned him. Why? Because he he blasphemed in their mind. He claimed that Jesus was God and the only way to get to God. So Jesus says, I am the door. All who came, verse 8, before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Again, they didn't even hear them. They came over the side, the the thieves and the robbers, again, either trying to get wool or or trying to get food or trying to get the animal to sell the animal. Sometimes if they knew that they weren't going to be able to sell the animal or they knew that they couldn't get the animal up over the wall, sometimes thieves would just jump over the wall and they just slit the throat. And they just bleed the animal out right there and then uh, maybe cut up its body and get certain chunks of it to, to throw over the wall to either eat or maybe sell as meat. Thieves only come to kill, to steal, to destroy. But don't fear. If you hear the voice of the Lord, then you won't hear the voice of the strangers. You won't hear the thieves and the robbers. They won't be able to harm you, though they can kill you. They cannot take your soul 
out of a secure place in Jesus Christ. Sheep didn't hear them. By the way, that's why we read the Bible and study the Bible. The sheep hear the voice of God, so let's listen to his voice. That's why we gather together. That's why we we read scripture, we pray scripture, we study scripture. To hear the voice of God. And and if you are a, a sheep in the flock of God, you will hear his voice and keep on hearing it and keep on following. And if you are a sheep who is not in the flock of God, I pray that you would hear God's voice and by his grace and through his spirit, your heart would be regenerated and you would hear his voice for the first time as the spirit gives you life and you would follow him. He says, all who came before me, maybe false messiahs, probably the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious tradition, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. They will not save. They cannot save. But don't worry, you're not going to follow them. You won't follow them. How do you know that you're going to wake up tomorrow and stay saved? It's not because of you. If you and I could lose our salvation, we would. We would. We're going to stay saved because God has given us ears to hear his voice and earplugs to tune out the false teachers. They will not snatch us out of his hand. We're going to see that in depth next week. So he says, I am the door. Verse 9, if anyone enters through me, he will be saved. You have to get through me to get to God. You have to go through me. I'm the only way to get to God. You'll be saved. And you will go in and out and find pasture. So he says, number one, you will be saved. If it wasn't clear enough about the door just being the the gateway to get to heaven and to eternal life, um, then here he says that you have to pass through me. If you enter through me, you will be saved. And then he uses covenant terminology here when he says go in and out. It's from Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 6, and Psalm 121, verse 8. You'll be able to... To, gaze, to graze around. You will always have more than enough. You'll always be satisfied. That's the idea of going in and out. Going wherever you want. Without fear of being taken, stolen, killed. I'm going to watch you. I'm going to take care of you. You'll be saved. You'll go in and out. And you'll find pasture. You'll find pasture. Some people ask me, why would I even want to get saved? Why would I even want to be saved? Because what happens? You just go to heaven and, and uh, you, you never die and, and you're just a robot, just like an angel robot in heaven. Why would I even want to be saved? And I say, you know what? If that's what heaven is, I agree with you. I don't want to be saved. If I just get saved to go to some place where I'm just a, a robot, an angel robot like everybody else, and life's boring and we're just kind of going, what are we doing? Why would you want to be saved if you are just saved for the purpose of being saved? That's all it is. Jesus says here, I came to save you and I came to give you pasture and to give you abundant life. I came to give you more. He says that in verse 10. He contrasts himself with the thief and the robbers. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy him. But I came that they may have life. My flock might have life and have it abundantly. I don't just want to live. I want to have abundant life. I want to thrive. I don't want to just survive in this life. I want to thrive in this life. And it's exactly what Jesus says. I didn't come to save you and then just say, okay, you're saved. Do your thing. 
I came to save you and then give you joy and satisfaction and life abundantly. And that abundant life has nothing to do with the stuff that we have in this world. That abundant life has nothing to do with our things, our material possessions. God is not saying, I have come to give you abundant life by giving you a new Mercedes Benz. That's not what he's saying. Our souls are infinite. Our souls are infinite. And God is saying, I've come to satisfy your infinite souls. So if our souls are infinite, how many finite material earthly possessions would we need to satisfy an infinite soul? Uh, That math doesn't work. I'm not good at math, but I know that math doesn't work. You cannot add up a number of finite things and it will total infinity and then it'll satisfy. There are a lot of people in this world who have a lot of earthly possessions, more than all of us combined. And you know what happens to them when they lose certain things or the stock market crashes? They commit suicide. So material possessions is not the abundant life that Jesus is speaking about here. He's speaking about abundant life spiritually, that you'll be satisfied in your soul. He'll be satisfied, you will be satisfied by a weight of glory, not a weight of material possessions. You will know the one that you were made for. And you'll be satisfied by him, sweet communion with him. You'll be in a pasture where the green grass never ends. And you're constantly in communion with him. The end of all of these verses is that we would worship God, that we'd worship Jesus as God, that we would come to him and we would say, I want to be satisfied eternally, spiritually. I want abundant life. So we have our parable of sorts. Jesus says, I've come for a flock. And specifically here, I've come for Israel. I've come for my sheep. I know my sheep. I'm going to lay my life down for my sheep. I'm going to draw them out. I'm going to save them. And not just people that are entrenched in Judaism and in a legalistic man-made system of rules and regulations that can gain you favor with God, but it never can. It won't ever work. There's another flock, and it's a flock called the Gentile flock. And I'm, I'm going to them too because I have sheep in that flock that are mine, and I'm going to die for them, and I'm going to draw them to myself. He gives a picture of sorts, and then after the parable he gives them a picture of himself. I am the door. I am the only way that you get to God. Your rules and your regulations don't work. So I think in conclusion, it would be good to, to say three statements based on what we've seen here. Three statements. Number one, I need a door and I need a shepherd. I need a door and I need a shepherd. You need a door and you need a shepherd. Jesus is saying, I've come to die to be the only way to the Father, to be the only way to have a reconciled relationship with the God of the universe, and I have come to shepherd you in that relationship. We need a door, and we need a shepherd. We need a way to get to God. You try to get to God on your own, and it will end up in frustration. Well, I just have to to do better works. I have to let my good outweigh my bad. You try that for a couple days, and you will just hate your life. Because you realize I can't let my good outweigh my bad. It doesn't work. It is so easy to dismiss Jesus as amazing when you think you're good enough to get to God on your own. It's so easy. Because if he says, I am the door, and that's supposed to bring worship in our hearts, and we go, I don't need a door. I can get to God on my own. Then we won't worship him the way that he should be worshipped. So, we need a door, we need a shepherd. 
Number two, statement number two, Jesus is the only door. Jesus is the only door. He's the only way, the only truth, the only life. So many people are trying to get to God by any other means. And we need to be proclaiming this message. That's the only reason that we've been left here on this earth. We can do everything better in heaven, worship better in heaven, fellowship better in heaven. Everything. We can do glorify God better in heaven. We can do it all better in heaven. But God has left us here to tell others, you need a door. And Jesus is that door. So can I just, can I ask you, can I plead with you, can I challenge you? I challenged my Bible study on Wednesday night. I I typically share the gospel with a lot of people throughout the day. but It's people that I'll never see again. You know, hey, do you know who Jesus is? Here's a church card. You're be my guest. Come invite. I'll invite you. Come be a part of our church. Let me tell you about Jesus. I'm a pastor. Here's the Bible. You know, five minute conversation done. Never see him again. Um, I challenged my my Bible study. Who is there that you know that you have a relationship with in your life that needs to know that Jesus is the only door? Not the people. Don't, don't stop sharing the gospel with people that you'll never see again. Please keep doing that. That's right. That's good. But let's, let's as a church start thinking and praying. My, my challenge to my small group was let's pray every single day for one person in our lives that we, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a family friend, maybe it's a uh, neighbor, somebody that you know that you have a relationship with and just start praying for them. And start loving on them, hands and feet of Jesus, just going after them with love and compassion and tenderness and care. Build equity with them so that it's not like every time they see your face, they know that you're going to talk about Jesus. Build equity with them. And then invite them. Maybe invite them to our Thanksgiving Eve service. Maybe invite them uh, to an Easter service coming up. Be praying and inviting. People need to know Jesus is the only door. Statement number three. Jesus is a wonderful shepherd. He's a wonderful shepherd. I think that the tail end of verses 9 and 10 of leading us in and out and finding pasture goes more towards the shepherd aspect than the door aspect. And that's why I wanted to put that here, even though we haven't gotten to that explicit statement yet. Jesus is a wonderful shepherd. He leads us. He came to give us life and life abundantly. And here's where that verse has impacted my soul. So much. Sometimes obedience is so easy. Sometimes when God makes a rule, you're like, you didn't even have to make that rule. That's a piece of cake. I would love to do that. I don't want to do this. Sometimes obedience is so easy. And it's obvious that doing things God's way is the best. Just spend time at a secular college campus and you'll realize, God's way is the best. Look at how everybody's wrecking their lives. But sometimes obedience is really hard. Sometimes obedience is really hard. You ever read a command in the Bible during your devotions and you just want to put like an asterisk next to it and like put your name in the back and go, but not Patrick. Like, well, that's that's a command obviously to everybody, but not me. Sometimes obedience is really hard really hard. And if you think that your shepherd is giving you directions and laws and rules to just make your life miserable, then you're going to question every command he gives you. But why? Why? I don't want to do that. I think my way's better. 
That's what God says. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it brings forth what? Death. You, you and I definitely have our own ways of doing things. And God says, yeah, that will kill you. I've come to give life and give it abundantly. This verse has so helped my sanctification because when I'm kicking against something that God tells me to do, some form of obedience, and I go, I don't want to do it that way, this verse tells me, no, 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 God isn't out to squash my joy and to kill my fun. God is out to give me abundant life. That's what God is all about. Jesus is all about giving you the best possible life imaginable with joy, with satisfaction. We're not talking material possessions. We already saw that. We're talking about soul-satisfying joy, an indomitable joy that cannot be taken away. And so when I read this verse and I see, okay, I have some form of obedience that I don't really like, will you trust Jesus is leading you to abundant joy, abundant life? He's not trying to take away your joy. He's trying to give you more joy. He's saying, follow me and you'll have more joy. So, are you in glad submission to the word of God? Can I just ask you, what what is that in your life? What is that in your life where you say, I'll do this, 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 and this, and I'll let everybody know that I love the Lord in these areas and will obey him. But this one thing, I just really don't like this one thing. And you have all of your excuses, you have all of your reasons, you have all of your rationale. I don't really want to do this. Will you kill that sin today by saying, Jesus is just wanting to give me abundant life? That's what he's wanting. How does he give us abundant life? He's our good shepherd, and he lays his life down for the sheep, and he takes it back up again. How does he do that? What does that all entail? That's what we'll dive into next week. God, thank you so much for being our door. We need you. We need a way to get to God. And if we don't have a way to get to God then we are eternally lost forever. We need a door. Thank you for being our door. And Jesus, we need a shepherd. Thank you for leading us to abundant life, leading us to life everlasting, and not just eternal in the next life, but eternal life now, a quality of life that has changed, a joy-filled life filled with satisfaction because you are our shepherd. You are looking out for us. This section of scripture reminds me so much of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. There's nothing that I need that I'm lacking. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside stilled and quieted waters and restores my soul. God, you are our great shepherd. You are an amazingly wonderful shepherd. You are the door and I pray that we would run through you to eternal satisfaction this morning.